Alright, and welcome to the Rory's Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares some of our own winners in pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, riding solo once again to take a look at the 1996 September 16th editions of Raw and Nitro. As usual in this time period, um, Nitro pasted Raw in the ratings with a 3.6 versus a 2.1. And this is one of those weird shows where Raw is coming to you the night before the pay-per-view that we've just... uh, Sorry, the week before the pay-per-view that we just reviewed on the Mind Games versus Fall Brawl episode. And Nitro is coming to you the night after Fall Brawl. Um, Never really found the best way to record these. But what I do for watching in my own viewing pleasure is I'll watch the Raw, then the two pay-per-views, then the Nitro. So my memory and notes on the Raw episode may be a smidge hazy, but what's new? If you're listening to this podcast still at this point, you're probably used to a couple of things. One, me fumbling over my notes and two, me forgetting what I've written down um, when I try and record too many weeks after watching the show. So feel free to complain, but it's probably not going to get any better. Um, I'm actually really psyched to be getting this review done, which hasn't been the case always in the last year or two. I feel like I've been rushing and trying to find time to do it, but I'm actually in the midst of the NWO angle really taking off and I'm heading into a period of WWF where I don't know the product as intimately as I did in the years before and the years that follow. Um, These in-your-house pay-per-views, particularly, like, up until they started to really get hot again in late 97, 98, weren't as easily available in Australia at the time. Um, As I've mentioned on the podcast many times before, you had to pretty much wait for three to six months for them to come out on VHS and hope your video store got them. And there wasn't a whole lot of demand for some of these pay-per-views. So some of them I actually probably didn't watch until four or five years after the fact. So I am actually really enjoying this time period. WCW is really heating up, and the WWF is something that I'm not as familiar with as I would be the decade previously and the decade following. So, yeah, looking forward to getting this one banged out. Anyway, I'll stop rambling about my personal teenage years trying to search out wrestling product in a um, foreign country, and we'll get on with the show. Um, As mentioned, watch Raw first, so we're going to take a look at what Monday Night Raw has to offer. One of these four superstars will be the next World Wrestling Federation Intercontinental Champion for Owen Hart. Is it destiny? The son of a champion, the brother of a legend. Has his day finally come? Owen's opponent, the wild man, Mark Merrow, the virtuoso of aerial artistry, a superstar on the threshold of greatness. The title would be his passage to glory. Psycho Sid, what goes on in the mind of this mercurial mesomorph? Does he thirst for gold? Or is his appetite set on destruction? Whatever Psycho wants, Psycho gets. His opponent, Farouk. Is he a militant warrior, or is Farouk a common thug without a conscience or a cause? Tonight, it's the semifinal round of the Intercontinental Championship Tournament. Also, our Big Daddy Cool Diesel and the bad guy Razor Ramon returning to the WWF? Jim Ross has said yes, but President Monsoon, who is live in our studios, has the official WWF word. Plus, direct from South Africa, the latest on Brett the Hitman Hart. My commitment to the WWF has ended right here in South Africa. Raw opens up, as you heard there, with a breakdown of the Intercontinental title tournament and a bit of a cliffhanger on whether or not Brett's going to be sticking with the WWF, so that'll be a storyline we'll follow closely in the months and even possibly year to come. 
Our commentary team is JR, Jerry Lawler, and Kevin Kelly, and we open with Jake the Snake Roberts taking on the Sultan with Bob Backlund and the Iron Sheik. And yep, that tells you how all over the place the WWF in 1996 was. Jake chases Jerry Lawler around the commentary booth before the match, and this is the debut of the Sultan, so I'm expecting him to go over strong here. Bob Backlund um, takes Jerry Lawler's spot in the commentary booth, but then Jerry Lawler comes back as well, so they're all there. Sultan's on the offense early. Jake um, keeps going for the DDT, but the Sultan keeps escaping it. Um, A bit of a botched ending with a blocked DDT, um, but... Jerry Lawler was supposed to throw a bottle at Jake as he's going for it, but Jake went to set up the DDT facing the wrong way and had to turn while holding it. So, yeah, not the best. Um, Sultan basically gets a big kick and locks in the camel clutch for the submission victory after this. From there, we see Brian Pillman with Owen, and Stone Cold comes into the picture as well. Obviously, the talk of the town is Brett, and I'll splice this one in and let you guys have a listen to the promo here. exclusive interview with your brother Brett. I wonder what he's going to tell us, Owen. You know what, Brian? I don't know how you did it, but I am so happy. You are the man that I owe it all to. You are the man that got me and Brett back together. It's all been reconciled. Mom and Dad are real happy, and I can't wait to get into Philadelphia this Sunday, the city of brotherly love, and Brett and I are finally back together, and I'm the happiest man of all. And all the questions are going to be answered. He's a new man, bro. All the twists and turns. Really cares because I'm going to be there, Brett. And I'm going to get my answers firsthand, son, because the bottom line is Stone Cold is the best there is. From there, we go to the Smoking Guns taking on Bob Holly and Alex Porto in a non-title match. Um, Holly and Porto got a job entrance during the break. Raw is brought to us by Tekken 2, which should date it for all you gaming fans out there. We get started with an arm drag and a hip toss by Bart. Uh, sorry, by Bob Holly. Um, we then see Jim Cornette come out with Owen Hart and the British Bulldogs to watch. JR says that we'll see Razor Ramon and Diesel next week on commentary. But um, starts to beat on Alex Porto, but pulls him up off the pin. Um, poor Bob Holly, <laughs> basically being treated like a complete jobber with a jobber of a partner. Alex Porto gets a small package for a two and then hot tag to Bob Holly, who cleans house. Um, hits a Hurricane Rana for a two count before the guns lock on the sidewinder. However, Owen Hart distracts and then Bob Holly gets a roll up for the surprise three. Um, yeah, a bit of an upset there with Bob Holly and Alex Porto getting the win over the smoking guns. We go to an ad for WWF Superstars and when we come back, Gorilla Monsoon tells us that. Kevin Nash and Scott Hall are signed elsewhere, and this causes JR to leave the commentary booth, which, again, I'll play a little bit of this for you here because it is quite an interesting storyline. Um, I never really um, saw the, the week-to-week TV installments of this, so I am quite enjoying catching up on this now. Line games. Well, speaking of live, standing by right now, World Wrestling Federation President Gorilla Monsoon. We heard earlier the bombshell by Jim Ross that Razor Ramon and Diesel will be here live on Raw next Monday. And Mr. Uh, Monsoon, we wanted to talk to you about the World Wrestling Federation's official stance on this matter. Well, Jim Ross, you have really piqued my curiosity as to who will actually be appearing on the program next week. Because I can tell you officially from the WWF offices that Kevin Nash and Scott Hall will not be appearing 
as both of these individuals are currently under contract to another organization. I would like to apologize to all the fans of the WWF who feel that they have been hoodwinked or misled by Jim Ross's statement. And with that in mind, I will remain here in the studio for the rest of the program to monitor it and make sure that no other misleading statements are made. And should they be made, I will invoke my presidential privilege and uh, come down severely on the perpetrator. All right. Thank you, President Monsoon. Ladies and gentlemen, Jim Ross has left the announced position. Uh, based upon the look on his face, he's rather perturbed by the comments of President Monsoon as we take you now to the king. After that, we go into the ring where Jerry Lawler is interviewing Jim Cornette and Vader. Um, Cornette cuts a promo on his match with Jose Lothario, and he's got a jobber in the ring for a public workout. The jobber, however, is able to reverse all of Jim Cornette's holds, and that just pisses Vader off, who punches him, and allows Jim Cornette to slap him around a bit as we go out to a commercial break. When we come back, it's time for our Intercontinental Tournament semi-final. Owen Hart taking on Mark Miro, and Pat Patterson joins us on commentary, and JR is back at this point as well. Bit of a um, musical chairs stint going on in the commentary booth this evening. Some nice chain wrestling to start as Mark Miro works over Owen Hart's arm, which is in the cast. Pat Patterson says he's got faith in Razor Ramon and Diesel coming back, so that's interesting. Owen Hart with a spin kick. Um, we get a double unhook suplex for a two, and then... There's some um, lawsuit avoidance on commentary as they basically try and get out of the fact that, you know, Diesel and Razor are coming back um, as best they can. Mark Miro with a back suplex. Owen Hart with a nice shot to the with the cast for a two as we go to a commercial and we see a Mind Games ad on the way out. An inverted atomic drop from Miro and a backdrop, a drop kick, and then a somersault plunger, as Kevin Kelly calls <laughs> And then we get a springboard splash for a two and a head clash puts them both down. Owen Hart takes off the cast, um, and Mark Mira gets a hold of it and nails Owen with it for the one, two, three. So he'll be advancing to the final of the tournament. After that, we see a video package for the South African tour. Um, Bret Hart tells us that Brian Pillman and Owen Hart are both liars, and he has yet to decide what he's doing with his future. And then it's time for the main event, the other semi-final. It's going to be Farouk Assad taking on Psycho Sid. We see some shoulder blocks um, early from both as they both basically play the immovable object game. And then Farouk gets a power slam, which is no sold by Sid. Sid comes back with a big boot and Farouk with a back suplex. And we see Ahmed Johnson picture in picture and he says he'll be back and he's fired up. Farouk comes off the top, but he's caught in a power slam by Sid for a two. They double clothesline each other down and then Farouk works on the kidneys of Sid. We get a commercial, and then when we come back, Sid um, hits a choke slam, but Sonny distracts him. Fruit gets a couple of chair shots in for a two count. Sid then gets a chair and uses it in front of the referee and gets himself disqualified. So it'll be Farouk versus Mark Miro in the final of the Intercontinental Title Tournament. We end the show with a Undertaker promo on Gold Dust, a rundown of Mind Games, and then a Mankind Paul Bearer promo on Shawn Michaels and the WWF title match. So th- this was a pretty good go-home episode of Raw before Mind Games. Um, it moved some storylines along with the Intercontinental title tournament, especially as well as the tag title stuff. We got a debut of the Sultan, who's not a character that's that fondly remembered, but, you know, it's noteworthy if nothing else. And then we... End Ended the show with a good bit of hype for the pay-per-view. So as far as Raw's in this time period go, they have been a bit of a mixed bag. And you'll have heard me say in recent episodes that I'm actually, I've come around to the fact that WCW is a far superior show. But 
as far as just a standalone episode of Raw, this one's pretty decent. So good action, good characters, good story. I'm interested to see how this one stacks up against Nitro. Nitro, of course, coming off the full brawl pay-per-view um, that we're going to go and talk about in just a minute um, on the other side of this halftime break. For halftime this week, I'm going to talk about some what I consider steals or great finds in wrestling merchandise. I've been talking a lot about the magazines recently in the articles, and I'm going to start there. My magazine collection that I've been talking about in the last few episodes actually got kickstarted with someone putting a marketplace ad up and we're selling them for five Australian dollars a piece. Um, wherever you are, be it the UK or America, it's probably two to three dollars slash pounds in your currency. So, what I consider a bit of a steal there. And I was thinking back to some other like really good finds and bargains I've had over the years. I remember I had a great VHS collection. This was in the early days of DVD when not everything was being released on DVD. And I went to a old video store um, called Video Easy here in Australia that had one of the biggest selections. They weren't my local Video Easy. They're only a few suburbs away. They were, you know, it was reachable to get there. And I just said to them, um, they weren't renting very much. Would you consider selling them? And they were like, yep, we'll sell them to you for $5 a piece. Oh, I think it was, or it might have been. I actually think it was $5 a piece. I said, you can buy them. Um, DVDs were obviously coming in and they were going to be downsizing the VHS collection. And I remember buying probably over a few trips, 30 or 40 of these pay-per-views. Sadly, I didn't keep them. The collectible market wasn't what it was back in... Um, 2001 2002 whenever it was i got these vhs tapes um people didn't buy these things to keep and display i wish i had because i had a large percentage of the wwf pay-per-view tapes um and one day when they started to release them in the tag classics on dvd and i was able to get my hands on them i just put them all in the bin and i to this day regret that another rare bargain that i found super cheap but did not hang on to sadly Following on with the VHS and DVD, I found some ECW pay-per-views in like a, a discount store one day and they were like $5 each and I'm trying to remember, I think they were the pay-per-views from the 2000s as I stall for 30 seconds to um, try and Google it and see exactly which ones it was that I had because I'll remember the covers even though I don't remember the... Um, don't remember the matches or the shows as well, but I know there were later ones. So a uh, quick search will tell you that I found Guilty as Charge, Living Dangerously, and Hardcore Heaven all from 2000 and got them all for five bucks a pop, which I was quite happy with as well. Um, also randomly in like a, not Costco because we didn't have it at the time, but a Costco type establishment. They, one day I saw the 1998 WCW pay-per-views um, and I bought a bunch of them. They weren't necessarily bargains, but you just didn't get those tapes over in Australia at the time. Um, so I was quite happy to find those ones as well. Another steal or like a, a rare find that I found over here. You've got to understand merch was so hard to come by back in the day. And um, from the top of my head, I know I found Halloween Havoc, Bash at the Beach, Full Brawl, and I want to say Sold Out as well. Um, I think I had four or five of them, so that was another good find, even though it was, you know, they were probably more like $20, so normally priced, nothing too outrageous. But over the years, because we've not always got, it's a bit different these days too, but because we've not always got a ton of wrestling merchandise in Australia. You do appreciate getting those fines, which everyone 
listening in America will probably be like, ah, it is what it is, like we can get that one if we want it, but that was not always the case here. And the last one I'm going to remember is just walking into a Kmart over here one day when the Jack's BCA line was first in my area. At this point in time, 98, I was living in a a bit of a country town in Australia, um, not a major city, so stuff come to us a lot later than, than it did elsewhere. Um, just to give you a paint the picture, the cinema that we had in that town that I lived in was actually about six to 12 months behind the major cities around the world. So movies even came to our town a lot later. Like it's so hard to imagine in the streaming era. Um, and you know, even people listening in other countries that live in fairly major metropolises will be like, what the hell? Like, how did that exist? But yes, country towns in Australia were quite behind the times when I was a kid. So, um, yeah, rambling, but remember walking in the Kmart and it was the set with the WrestleMania 15 backing, um, and they had everyone on the shelf, Owen Hart, Undertaker, Stone Cold, Rock, Mankind, Kane, Triple H, DX, and I was just like, holy shit, like, how many of these can I buy? Spoiler alert, it wasn't many, <laughs> I did not have a lot of money, um, but started to piece it together and go back and buy those one by one. Um, and to this day, I don't know why I've not actually gone back and recollected the, those BCAs, but like fondly remember that run of series. There was a tag team set where you could get, I think it was Kane and Mankind, Undertaker and Austin and The Rock and Owen Hart were in tag team packs. And yeah, just remember going absolutely nuts for all these guys. And then for the next year or, or two, we got some of the Jack series before it started to um, drop off and then pick back up as it does over the years in Australia. But yeah, some of my finds over the years that I was quite happy with at the time, either because they were super cheap or completely unexpected. Love to hear some of yours. If you've got some of them wrestling merch finds that you're just like, wow, I'm so pumped that I got this. Anyway, that'll do it for halftime. It's time for us to head over and check out what Nitro has got to offer. take a look at some of the things that occurred. The first man in for the NWO was Hall of the Outsiders, of course, flanked by Ted DiBiase. The first man in for WCW was Arn Anderson in for that five-minute period. The NWO won the coin toss. They sent in Nash of the Outsiders to give the two-on-one advantage. Lex Luger then came in to even it up at two apiece. Then comes Hulk Hogan, three-to-two advantage for the NWO and then Ric Flair even up 3-3. Three to three. At that time we had no idea what would happen. The fourth man for the NWO was this man. Fans, this is not Sting. This is an imposter. Earlier in the night Sting said, hey fans and 
members of uh, WCW. That was not me last Monday. Sting then hit the ring for WCW, and he took charge. As a matter of fact, he confronted the bogus Sting. He attacked the bogus Sting, cleared house, but then Sting, very angry that no one believed him, walked away. And then WCW lost war games because Lex Luger being put into Scorpion Deathlock by the bogus Sting attacked by Hulk Hogan. The NWO wins war games. Then the macho man Randy Savage entered to try to help matters. The giant had entered. The cage was up, and all members of the NWO brutally attacked the macho man Randy Savage. Then, you're talking about a shocker, Miss Elizabeth enters to try to plead with Hulk Hogan to leave the macho man alone. As a matter of fact, she threw herself on top of the macho man. And then what has to be the most disgusting thing we've ever seen, they spray-painted the dress of Miss Elizabeth. Ladies and gentlemen, like Larry said, we could have won war games. Sting came in, and you know I have an apology to make to Sting. I said, we all said he was the newest member of the NWO. That was wrong. That was incorrect. He obviously was in Japan. We should have known this. Was not there last Monday. He came in. He was very you know, angry. It's too late for apologies. Sting is a sensitive man. Someone says he hurt his feelings. No one trusting him. If you're going to be a sensitive individual, get a job working for Mother Teresa. This is war against the new world order. And as far as Savage goes, what happened with Elizabeth? Ric Flair spend all his alimony? I have no idea. I wouldn't idea. trust her either. But by winning war games, the NWO now in full force earlier tonight. Here at the arena, as a matter of fact, as you take a look, NWO people were out handing out flyers. Tony was on a bit of a roll there, but I had to cut him off. Um, you hear a fair bit's gone on since the last episode of Nitro, um, and the apology to Sting there. After all this, we did see the um, the NWO t-shirted um, helpers handing out flyers and promoting the NWO, and we go into the ring for our first match. Who will be taking on Ray Ray for the Cruiserweight title? Pretty fast-paced match, this one, with a DDT from Hoovy and an SOS slam for a two. Shivani tells us Glacier is here, and I'm like, fuck yeah, this is going to be the greatest ever episode of Nitro. A spin kick from Ray. Um, a really great exchange ends with Ray hitting a drop kick to a flying Hoovy as we go out to a commercial. We see Hoovy hit a springboard leg for a two, and then an acai moonsault. Um, we see an NWO party beginning outside, not with the... Um, the wrestlers more so with the helpers and then ray hits a runner off the top for the one two three in a pretty decent if not formulaic cruiserweight match um some really good high flying spots but i think the hurricane runners are being overdone here and they're killing it for me every match is ending with some version of a hurricane runner at this point in time and i think that the finishes are probably why i'm not loving the cruiserweights as much as i thought i would or did at the start we go to mike today with chris benoit mongo and deborah they cut a pretty shitty promo on Lex and Sting, not the best, um, as we go to a commercial and we see a Glacier video package. Um, unfortunately, they ruin it by basically telling us his origin story, and it takes an absolute ice age, and yes, pun intended for Glacier. I'll give you guys a listen. Um, sorry to be hitting you with the extra long splices on this one, but I think these are the, probably the more interesting parts, and if you've seen the Glacier ad a million times, this was certainly a change and not a welcome one from my point of view. spirit inside of me. The name Glacier was given to me by my master. It's an, an appreciation for the elements, the awesome strength and the power that's derived from the elements. There's a lot of 
excitement because Bruce Lee had just hit superstardom. People like that got me excited about wanting to study martial arts. I had a burning desire inside of me told me that's where I needed to go to learn. So I traveled thousands and thousands of miles and finally ended up in Kyoto, Japan. And what I found was an old master who took me in as a student. I was very happy to let him become my sensei, which in Japanese means teacher. He took a bunch of styles, combined the best of those styles, and came up with an awesome style that was passed along to me. Throughout my travels across the world, especially in Japan, when I was out teaching what I knew, I met some of Japan's most phenomenal wrestlers. And they taught me what they knew. I have now taken a great experience in wrestling and a great experience in martial arts and put the two together to develop a style that I think is superior. The armor and the mask that I wear to the ring are both examples of what I consider a tribute to gladiators throughout the last hundreds of years. In the Japanese language, symbols are used rather than letters. The symbol on my belt is a symbol for the universe. The symbol that is on my face above my eye is a symbol of ice. The symbol that is on my back is a shield that is made into an ancient Japanese face of evil that always reminds me that there could always be evil lurking behind my back. But that's why I wear it. It's a symbol of respect and honor. A glacier is what's known as a, a mass of moving ice. That's what I am. I'm a mass moving towards whoever my opponent is. To conquer that opponent and win at any cost as long as it's within the rules. Be cool. After that Glacier origin story, we go to Ice Train. Um, God, the cold puns just keep on coming here, taking on DDP. Um, DDP got a job entrance, which I was a bit surprised at because he's definitely been on the up and up. We get a shoulder block from Ice Train and then a top rope clothesline from DDP. He's getting over with the crowd here, definitely. Swinging neck breaker and he's spinning lariat uh, before Ice Train hits a belly to belly for a two, a boss man slam and a power slam for a two. We go backstage and we miss the ending, which is fucking annoying. Um... Ice Train basically had on a full Nelson, and um, Teddy Long threw in the towel. Um, I didn't understand that at all, but then we see a replay, and DDP basically, like, knocks it out of his hands without the referee seeing, so then the referee treats it as he's thrown in the towel for Ice Train, which was um, poor production, but a pretty clever finish, if I do say so. Um, the commentary team don't mention the difference we see with the replay, so that's a bit of a misstep there as well. Um, and we go backstage again where we see the NWO workers are like taping up the WCW merch stand and not letting any WCW merchandise be sold. Um, and we go to a commercial with one of the WCW outro promos and it's Conan. We come back and we see my man, Sean Waltman, sat in the crowd. Tony Schiavone tells us who he is, which I'll splice him for you here. Um, and then Mike Tanay joins the commentary team after the fact. But I just find it interesting with um, all the lawsuits and the people jumping backward and forward with how they've basically got to, um, for real, tell you who these people are these days to avoid getting sued. So have a listen. We are back on Monday Night Nitro. Wait a second. Hey. Hey, I, I recognize him. Now, the man you're looking at right now, he was formerly the one, two, three kid when he was with the WW. Now, we do know he was released from that organization, no longer with them. But what in the world is he doing here? 
Well, let me take a guess. The NWO. Holy Moses, we are back to action. When we come back, it's Super Calo taking on Conan for the Mexican Heavyweight Championship. And we get a look at the belt, and it's got AAA on it. So I don't know if this is accurate or not, but is that the AAA Heavyweight title that Conan is actually defending? Um, I guess it, it probably is, but I didn't realize that through this whole storyline. So there you go. Um, Conan coming out to the Dungeon of Doom music is also stupid. It just does not fit at all. He hits a big clothesline. Uh, Super Calo hits a crucifix for a two and arm drags um, Conan out to the floor and hits him with a suicide dive. Conan with a top rope belly-to-belly suplex and it barely gets a one count. That is not on at all. Um, a gut wrench powerbomb also gets him a one count. This is not for me at all. The kicking out at one on huge moves like this. Super Calo with a springboard crossbody to the floor looks pretty cool. Conan with a drop kick to the knee and a reverse DDT for a two count. And then he's rolling Lariat, um, and Super Calo takes a huge bump off that. We get a botched top rope head scissor from Super Calo. Um, Calo ends up basically accidentally swan. Uh, sorry, Conan ends up actually accidentally swantoning on top of Super Calo, which was not the intention. A drop kick from Callow, um, some more no-selling, and then a misses a drop kick to the floor. Conan hits a power bomb, and then his power drop, which is very similar to the Razor's Edge for the one, two, three. We then go straight back to Sean Waltman. So let's see what's going on with him. Well, I'm going to try and get to the bottom of this. We surely haven't seen you in an awful long time in a wrestling ring in North America. What's the story? Why exactly are you here? I try to keep incognito here today. I've been in Japan doing a little deal over there. I hear Nitro's the hottest show going today. I thought I'd come check it out. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, you're here. Well, what's the reason? I wanted to come last night. That big War Games match. The biggest cage match going today. Who won that match? Anyhow, I was in the I was on the plane on the way here. Who won that match? Anyhow. Are you kidding? Everybody in this building knows very obviously that the New World Order was victorious at War Games. Oh, they did. Oh. Darn it. That's too bad. We need to take a commercial break. More Monday Nitro after this. As you heard, today throws us out to the break, and what you didn't hear was on the way, we got a stupid outro promo from Hugh Morris. Um, Just never talk to this guy in this Laughing Man character. It is so stupid. Um, We get told on Saturday night, the French Canadians, Rey Mysterio, um, and Conan and Kevin Sullivan will all make appearances. Hugh Morris is here to take on Brad Armstrong. He hits a shoulder block, Hugh, that is, before Brad Armstrong comes back with a drop kick. Corner clothesline by Morris and a small package by Brad Armstrong gets a two. Power slam um, from Morris as we go to the hour two countdown. Hugh Morris, it's a moonsault and the cockiest of pins. So Brad Armstrong is able to roll through and lock in a pin of his own for the one, two, three. And Hugh Morris decks him as we go out to a commercial break. And we come back, Mike today brings out the Macho Man for an interview. Not sure what Gene's doing so far on this show. He might not be here for this one. Um, but... Tanae talks to Macho and shows him still pics of Fall Brawl. It's a bit of a weird promo on the NWO and Hulk Hogan. He seems to be quoting song lyrics. Um, This is not his best promo. And we see in the parking lot the NWO arrive. 
Scott Norton then takes on the Macho Man. Um, we get a brawl on the floor and a slugfest before a backdrop and a top rope axe handle from the top to the floor from Macho. Norton comes back with a Samoan drop and a backbreaker for a two. Bischoff tells us that a lot of stars are going to Japan next week and Macho Man will be one of the few staying for Nitro, um, which makes him a sitting duck, Heenan expresses on commentary. Norton with a powerbomb for a two and a power slam for a two as they go back to the floor to brawl. When we come back in, Norton hits a DDT for a two and a shoulder breaker before Macho starts laying into him with some pretty sick chair shots and gets himself disqualified. Then Pie faces Nick pa- Patrick to a bit of a pop from the crowd. The commentary team tell us that Macho Man will take on Hulk Hogan at Halloween Havoc, and as we go to the next commercial, it's a big Bubba promo, this time on Glacier. When we come back, it's time for that match, Glacier and Big Bubba, and I'm so excited for this. Even the, the shit promo earlier in the night can't ruin it for me. I've been waiting for him to debut for ages. This is not his full debut, however, because he debuted on WCW Pro, which is lame. Very cool entrance, um, and he catches the boss man trying to jump in with a cool leg sweep. We've got the blue light effect for Glacier. Think um, Kane or Sinkara, where there's just lighting over the ring. It's weird, but cool. We get like a front kick out of an enziguri before Bubba comes back with some punches in the boss man slam and goes to taunt the crowd. Glacier comes back with a leg sweep, some strikes, and a cool head kick. Um, a spin kick to the chin, which picks up the one, two, three. Think um, Alistair Black's, um, is it Fade to Black? I'm not sure what his kick's called, but you know the move I'm talking about. Um, Glacier had some cool moves and was better in the ring than I expected. So yeah, the believe the hype. I'm fairly certain this guy Glacier is going to go places and we're going to be talking about him for years to come. Um, Definitely still talking about him by at least 2022 on this small wrestling podcast emanating from Brisbane, Australia. So there you go. Uh, Sting comes out and talks about everyone doubting him um, and how many times he gave Lex the benefit of the doubt. Fair point, Sting. You've definitely got a point there. Um, Tells everyone to stick it and he is going to be a free agent. Um, He'll pop in when we don't expect it. So I guess he's not going to be a free agent. He's still hanging around WCW. But anywho, this is the promo where he basically says, no, fuck everybody. I'm going off to do my own thing. And this is the the start of the evolution towards a Crow character. Take a listen. Sting. Sting is on his way to the ring. Which one? This, This is a little weird. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Like Sting. The Stinger is here. Let's hear what he has to say. I want a chance to explain something that happened last Monday night at Nitro. Last Monday night, I was on an airplane flying from LA to Atlanta. When I got to Atlanta, I tuned in the TV to Nitro, and I thought I was watching a rerun. It was a very convincing film. Why won't he look at the camera? Often imitated, but never duplicated, though. And what else did I see? I saw people, I saw wrestlers, I saw commentators, and I saw best friends doubt the stinger. That's right. Doubted the stinger. Took a little, so little I heard Lex Luger here. say, him, I know I guess where he lives, I know where he works out, I'm going to go get it. So I said to myself, I'll just go into seclusion. I'll wait and see what happens on Saturday night. And I tuned in Saturday night, 
And what did I see? I saw more of the same, more doubt. Which brings me to Fall Brawl. I knew I had to get to Fall Brawl to get face-to-face -face with the total package to let him know that it wasn't me. And what I got out of that was, no, Sting, I don't believe you, Sting. Well, all I gotta say is, I have been mediator, I have been babysitter for Lex Luger. I've given him the benefit of the doubt about a thousand times in the last 12 months. Yeah. What's he getting to? I don't like the, and I don't I like the tone the of this WCW at all. And I carry the WCW banner. And I have given my blood, my sweat, and my tears for WCW. I don't like where this is going. So for all of those fans out there and all those wrestlers and people okay, I mean, that never doubted the stinger, I'll stand by you if you stand by me. But, but for all of the people, all of the commentators, all of the wrestlers, and all of the best friends who did doubt me, you can stick it. From now on, I consider myself a free agent. But that uh -oh. doesn't mean that you won't see the stinger from time to time. I'm going to pop in when you least expect it. What about tonight? What did he mean? What about tonight? So, yeah, Sting's um, had enough and letting his feelings be known. Really good promo there. We head to Jericho and Buff Bagwell. Um, he's still Marcus Alexander Bagwell at this point, taking on Ric Flair and Arn Anderson. The horsemen don't come out at first, and then we go backstage, and they're trying to talk Liz into coming out with them, but she's scared. Um, when we go outside, um, when they, sorry, when they do go down the ramp, they're so over with the crowd. We see Six with a camcorder um, setting basically... Sorry, no, no. So with what looks like a camcorder, but no, it's not. It's a remote control. And when he presses it, NWO flyers come from the sky as we go to a commercial. When we come back, Jericho misses a drop kick um, and hits a spin kick. Bischoff, Bischoff says he was forced to agree to let the NWO take over the show if they won because they threatened not to go through with the War Games match. Ric Flair hits some chops, and we get a backdrop from Buff. Um, he goes for several pin attempts, all getting a two before eating an Arn Anderson spine buster. We go split screen, and we see the NWO with six in a limo. They play the Sting promo on the boombox. It takes a giant a minute or so to get it going, which is quite funny. Um, this angle's been done to death. We know that promo um, was played over a speaker these days, but they're just joking about it here. Arn Anderson hits a DDT on Jericho on the floor. Um, Buff goes after both of them on his own while Jericho's out, but Woman rakes his eyes, allowing Arn to hit a DDT. Ric Flair locks in the figure four, and the ref counts Buff down for the one, two, three, giving the Horsemen the win. We then go to what was meant to be Mongo and Benoit versus Lex and Sting, but it's just Lex on his own. We have a commercial. When we come back, Lex hits a backdrop and is clotheslining both before Benoit takes him down, and Mongo hits an elbow. We get a slam, and then Benoit and Lex double... 
clothesline each other. Lex cleans house eventually and puts Benoit in the torture rack, but Flair and Anderson come out. Mongo hits him with a chop block, and they beat down Lex Luger. Bischoff tells us that the NWO um, have decided that Waltman's name is going to be six, as he's the sixth wrestling member. Um, if you count DBRC, he's the seventh, but we're obviously not. And we go to the limo, and the NWO are laughing about the fact they're going to target Macho Man next week because he's a sitting duck. That will end Nitro, another good episode there, furthering the NWO storyline and keeping things ticking along nicely and building some anticipation for next week's show, which they've been guilty of not always doing. So really enjoyed that one as well. Two really good shows. It's going to be hard to pick a winner, but we don't shy away from that. We're going to go over and do so right about now. Four characters. This is a close one as they both did have a lot of stars on the show, but WCW had pretty much everyone. So I'm going to give them the tick there. Um, also going to give them crowd heat because the crowd were really big into a lot of the acts on this show and seemed to be having an awesome time, although the crowd over on the WWF side was pretty good as well. For production value, I'm going back to the WWF because of the WCW completely missing the ending twice on the DDP Ice Train match, and that's just not forgivable. When you get a replay to show it and the commentary team don't even mention what happened, it is quite frustrating. For storylines, I'm going to have to go to, oh, you know what? I'm going to call this one a tie. Um, I I was probably leaning towards WCW, but when I thought back, just about every segment on the WWF advanced or started a storyline, and there was some filler stuff in the WCW episode. So I'm going to go with a tie, even though the better storylines are in WCW, and WCW definitely gets a nod for match quality. So... Another solid win for Nitro, although it's closer than what it has been on some of the more recent episodes. Um, I actually was so excited to record this episode today because I want to go and start watching the next episodes. Um, Not just because I want to keep the schedule of the podcast up, but I actually want to watch them now. I finally hit that portion where watching these shows is exciting again. Um, So yeah, you should be hearing some more 1996 stuff coming your way in the upcoming weeks and months. And that will do it for this episode here. Thank you everyone for listening. Um, I'll be back with Duncan and with Richie again very soon. So keep an ear out for all of that as I um, choke on my words at the end of the episode. It's um, not easy doing this yourself sometimes. Um, But yeah, thanks everyone for listening. And as always, your continued support. Hope everyone, wherever you are, is having a great day or night. And I will be in touch with you all again very soon.